This is the Hiking Through Life podcast. We've all been gifted a journey called life. Let's see where the journey leads us today. Welcome to the Hiking Through Life podcast, where we talk with people who in some way, shape, or form have been influenced by the outdoors. I'm Andy, the producer of this podcast, and my lovely wife, Sarah, will be your host. Together, we make up Hiking Through Life. This podcast is all about bringing all kinds of people who are inspired by the outdoors and sharing their stories. We hope that by sharing people's stories, it inspires others to get out and live a more meaningful life. Tune in every week for new episodes, or better yet, subscribe to the Hiking Through Life podcast on your favorite podcast provider. If you enjoy this podcast, please share it with others. Also, if you have a story to share or know of anyone who might be interested in being a guest on this podcast, head on over to hikingthroughlife.net slash podcast and get in touch with us. If you'd like to support Hiking Through Life, you can go to hikingthroughlife.net slash shop. We have t-shirts, water bottles, and we recently added stickers to the shop. Use the code podcast at checkout and receive 10% off your first order. There are other ways you can support this podcast as well. You can check those out at hikingthroughlife.net slash support. Also, be sure to sign up for our email list. You can do that by heading over to hikingthroughlife.net. Enter your email address and click subscribe. There's no commitment. You can unsubscribe at any time. As part of our email list, you'll receive our monthly newsletter. We'll also be sending out any promotional codes for Hiking Through Life gear. It's an excellent way to follow Hiking Through Life's journey. Now sit back and enjoy this week's episode. Welcome to the Hiking Through Life podcast. Today we are joined by Doug Sands. Doug has found a passion in using hypnosis to manage anxieties and fears around adventuring and life's journey. Some of his adventures include nearly freezing to death on a hike in New Hampshire and living and hiking out of his truck out west. He not only uses hypnosis for himself, but he has turned it into a consulting business of helping others to see the benefits as well through online hypnosis and hosting his own podcast, Making Meaning. Welcome to the podcast, Doug. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, for sure. So tell us a little bit about your background, where you grew up, and kind of your adventure lifestyle. Absolutely. I grew up in the Midwest. I know you're from Minnesota. I grew up in um, Eau Claire, Wisconsin. And uh, I grew up on a dairy farm, of all things. And there wasn't a lot of adventure to be had out there. It was um, very rural. And, you know, you could go outside and walk in the woods, but it wasn't really the adventure I was looking for. And I didn't really find that adventure that I was looking for until I started bouncing around and finding different seasonal jobs to work at. I ended up in Maine at a high ropes course and then in New Hampshire at a hiking lodge. And that's where I uh, had that really dangerous hike um, that I nearly froze to death in New Hampshire. And that was a major turning point because it, it opened up the idea that I couldn't keep living the way I was living. Uh, I'd struggled with mental health and with anxiety and depression up until that point. And up until that point, I'd been kind of grasping at things, kind of reaching for straws, but nothing had really stuck. I'd been on medication and I'd gone to therapy and they worked for me. I absolutely support therapy and medication for anyone who um, uses that modality. But um, for me personally, I needed more input, I guess you could say, in my own mental health. 
And so I discovered meditation and through meditation, I discovered hypnosis. And when I found out just how powerful these tools were for managing my own anxiety, I was just blown away. And so now I've been certified and now it's something that I use, uh, use as a business. It's something that I do completely online so that I'm allowed to travel. Um, I moved out west to Utah this past winter to work at Alta. Um, Alta is a little ski town just above Salt Lake City. It's pretty famous in the ski community, but um, I didn't know that because I'd never been skiing before. I just thought, you know, it's, it's going to be fun. And so I moved out there. It was a great time and COVID hit. Um, we ended up becoming homeless and I had a camper set up in the back of my truck and we moved Wait, into so that. you became like, where were you living before you lived in this camper? I was living at the ski lodge. I was working and living in the same place at, at the seasonal job. And um, COVID hit. And there was just a rumor this one Saturday that they might shut down the lifts. And within a day and a half, they not only shut down the lifts, but they closed the entire lodge. And so we had six days to basically bug out of there. And Instead of moving back home or finding like an apartment right away, my girlfriend and I decided to move into the back of uh, my pickup truck and I built a camper setup. So it wasn't like we were just living on the bare bones ground, but I listened to a few of your other podcasts and like, I think there was one point, like, was this like a year ago where you didn't even know what a camper van was? (laughs) I remember like listening to one where you like walked into a library and like, were kind of intrigued by a camper van. Yeah. Yeah. That was, that was a few years ago, but uh, I was living in Iowa City, also not an extremely adventurous place, but I was going to college there. And um, it was a very interesting kind of story of discovering what a camper van was, because I was driving home from work from a job I didn't really like. And I saw this piece of shredded tire on the interstate and I tried to get over and the car next to me wouldn't let me over. So I ran over this tire and I blew a tire. And so I'm changing this tire on one of the busiest intersections in Iowa the intersection between I-80 and 380. And um, then I go back to Iowa City and get the tire replaced. I get it into a shop. And while they're replacing it, I go to the library, you know, in a really negative mood. And as I'm walking past the nonfiction section, this one book stands out to me. And it's just a collage of camper vans and just these beautiful photos of people living out west and all over the world in these mountainous places. And it struck such a chord with me that I sat down with that book and I was, I was hooked. And so I've just been researching it ever since that was my first real, I want to say that was my first real taste of adventure because a few months later, I dropped out of college and moved to Maine. I mean, I don't really recommend that. That was just my journey, but uh, that was that first opportunity to really allow myself to be adventurous and to picture myself in that adventurous life. Yeah. So, I mean, just like from hearing a little bit about your background, it sounds sounds like you were just kind of like struggling to really find your, find your like meaning in life for, for a little while. And I think that's something like a lot of people struggle with. I mean, even as adults, people don't necessarily know what they want to do or where their path is going to be taking them. So, I mean, when you discovered hypnosis and meditation, were you at all a little hesitant to this? Because like, (laughs) I know like the outside world might look at hypnosis and meditation and just like kind of roll their eyes at it. Like I like meditating, but I think it's something that 
not everybody's open-minded to. Yes. I, so I grew up in an extremely, I won't say extreme. I grew up in a rigidly um, Christian family um, and it completely, it was not even on my radar. Neither of these things were really something that I would consider for my life. And it took me being so desperate for years for something that really fit my personality and let me make those changes. And it really took me hitting that rock bottom of that hike when my anxiety just came up full force after that. Cause it was, it was as close as I've ever come to dying. And yeah, I'm curious. Can you tell us about that hike a little bit? Like what, <laughs> what was it like? And like, tell us about the fears and anxieties. Cause I'm so curious how, cause at that point you didn't have the tool of mm-hmm. hypnosis, correct? That's correct. Yeah. That came about six months later. The panic must've been like really extreme. It's a fun story to tell now, but living it, it was, <laughs> it was wild. So I was living in, um, Bretton Woods, New Hampshire in the White Mountains. And there was this very famous hike up there that I wanted to do before I left. I was leaving it in January of 2018 and I had 10 days left and it was my last day off. And I wanted to hike the Lafayette Ridge and the Lafayette Ridge is famous or in that part of the US because it's got like two and a half miles of ridgeline walking where you can see 360 degree views. And even though I probably shouldn't have been out there, I went anyway. I was stubborn because I knew that the conditions were going to be a little bit rough. And were you solo hiking? I was solo hiking at the time. Yeah. And I got to the top of the ridge and I knew I'd made a terrible mistake because the blizzard was just raging around me. I was walking along this, um, this ridge line and these boulders would appear out of the mist and the wind was blowing the ice and the snow at such an angle that they were sticking out horizontally in little icicles on the backside of these boulders. And when a person would appear, another hiker, they would almost materialize out of the fog and I'd stop and I'd turn and I'd watch them as they walked past. And within So you weren't the only crazy person out there. (laughs) Apparently not. I mean, (laughs) New Hampshire, whatever. Yeah. But I was up there and within 10 steps, they were gone. It was like they'd never existed. That's how thick this was. And um, in that, I I missed my turnoff to go back down a different trail. And so I continued on for about a quarter mile and I found what I thought was the trail. And I followed that down. And by the time I realized that it was not the trail, I could not come back up because I had basically it glissaded down this, um, this open slab of rock. And uh, there was no way I was going to climb back up that. And so I started bushwhacking down this mountain and I couldn't find a trail. I, my maps were pretty much useless. And I came across this stream and I knew it was one of these two streams. And so I followed that because either one was going to cross the highway at some point. And I was bushwhacking through these trees that had probably not been disturbed for, I don't know, decades, maybe a hundred years or something, however long they've been growing. These pine trees had basically interlocked their limbs. And so I was making like half an hour or like half a mile to the hour or like a mile to the hour progress and night was falling. And that's when I really started to panic. That's when it started to get serious because I was, I was really hot and the snow was falling. And so it was melting through all my gear. I was wet. I was cold. And it was about seven o'clock and night had completely fallen. It was dark. I was, I only had the headlamp to kind of light my way. 
And I remember climbing up this very steep little hill to go over and keep following the stream. And I slipped and I fell and I climbed back up. I slipped, I fell. And the third time I slipped and fell, I just laid my face in the snow and I thought about just giving up. And I remember in that moment, I let out a scream that was so primal. It was probably the most primal thing I've ever done. And then I just laid there. And when people talk about like the end of your experience, they talk about, I don't know, seeing a light or having some vision that propels them forward. It wasn't really that for me. What really got me up and on my feet was not that thought that uh, people were going to miss me or like this was the end of my life. It was the idea that they wouldn't find my body until the springtime. And it was such a weird thought that it got me up and I got over that hill and I continued on following this ridge or not this ridge, this stream. And eventually I'm walking along and I'm really enjoying this really flat spot. I'm like, oh, this is really nice. And it took me about 20 minutes to realize I'm on a trail. And so I run over to the edge of the trail and I look over and I can see the lights of a big rig passing by and I know I've hit the highway. And at that point I still had, I, I was still about four miles from my car. So I had to shuffle along in kind of this daze along this cross country trail, but I made it back and I drove back to the lodge that I was staying at. And my friend who was a, a search and rescue volunteer told me that they were within 15 minutes of calling search and rescue on me. So I'm very thankful that I was able to get out and live through that. So like you did go out prepared, like you told people you were going out hiking, like you had proper gear and everything. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I mean, it just sounds like one of those really unfortunate events that happens when people are out hiking. So I mean, in those moments, I want to know, like, how do you kind of talk yourself out of that mindset? Like, you were able to do it then, but you didn't even have the tool of hypnosis at that time. Cause I know like I have been out hiking and even just like continuing to go another mile, even when it's not bad weather, sometimes I'm just like so exhausted. I mean, what, what are the tools people use? At that point, you're right. I didn't have hypnosis or meditation. I think what really got me through was the knowledge that I didn't have a choice. And you didn't want people to find your body. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> it was, there was no one who was going to save me in that situation because I drifted so far off course that I was, I'd be lost. Um, I really had to disasso disassociate myself. And that's a term from psychology and hypnosis, but it basically means separating yourself from your emotions, from the current emotions that you're experiencing, like pulling apart your logic mind and your emotional mind and just focusing on the logic. It's kind of like when a person experiences a traumatic event and they get through it and it's not until after they're safe and you know everything's settled down that they burst into tears. It was kind of that thing. But at that time, it was really just keeping my mindset in the right place and making sure I was able to keep my emotions separate because I knew my emotions in that situation would get me killed. Right. And I mean, that's like such a, even just getting in that own mindset can be 
hard. I think when you're out there in the elements of everything on a hike, I think that can be a really challenging piece for someone, especially when you're hiking solo. Like I typically go out and hike with my husband. So like we have each other to kind of talk, talk through the emotions with, but when you're alone, shifting that mindset can be, can be a challenge. So, I mean, it was after that time that you kind of got into hypnosis and meditation. So I guess in a nutshell, what would you describe hypnosis as to someone? I typically describe hypnosis as meditation with a goal. And I believe that's a quote from um, another hypnotist named Grace Smith, but um, that's a very succinct way of putting it. When a longtime meditator goes in for hypnosis, they often report that it feels just like meditation. And the brainwave patterns are similar. They're not exactly the same. But when you're in hypnosis, you're essentially allowing yourself to be more suggestible and more open to suggestions. And that's not saying that hypnosis is manipulation because you're working with your mind and your mind's one goal is to keep you safe and to keep you happy as like an extension of that. But if you give someone a suggestion in hypnosis that they don't agree with, their mind is either going to ignore it or it's going to bring them out of that trance. And hypnosis is simply bringing a person to that deep state where they're able to make that change and then giving them the tools to make that change themselves. It's not me causing that change in a person. It's me giving them the tools and that freedom to actually make the change in their own mind. Yeah. And I mean, I, um, I've experienced like a little bit of like meditation and like hypnosis. I actually used it to kind of train my mind when I was getting ready to go to give birth to our son, I was using hypnobirthing. I just listened to a ton of meditations and stuff. And it really did kind of release my anxieties and fears about going into birth, going into the unknown of something I've never done before. And I mean, my hope was that hypnobirthing was going to allow me to not need any medication or any drugs during birth, but I still needed them in the, in the, in the end. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so it didn't work as I wanted it to, <laughs> but it worked enough to like ease my mind and just kind of ease my anxieties of all the like, what ifs, every, all the fears that could happen at that moment. And absolutely. So I definitely see the power in it. Um, I'm curious, like, what did your family think when you started diving into all this? I know you said you were, um, you were raised in a religious family. So what did your family kind of re how did they react? They had their doubts without a doubt. Um, they asked me, they asked me the common questions, you know, is hypnosis manipulation or mind control? Is it witchcraft? Is it satanic or something? And very early, I found out that hypnosis has been approved by the Roman Catholic Church since like 1847. I think even the standing pope in the 1950s recommended it for hypnobirthing, for helping uh, pregnant women to ease their pain without if they are not able to take those medications. And when I was basically introducing my family to these concepts, I had to get over the religious side of it, but I also had to get over the business side of it, because I told them, this is something I want to do as a career. And I had to convince them and show them plenty of examples of how people are using this beyond the stage and the comedy show side of it. They're actually using it to create some amazing changes in people's lives. And when they 
when they understood that they weren't completely on board, I think they're still growing into it, but I definitely um, was able to eliminate that resistance at least. Yeah. And so you wanted to turn this into a career. What was it that you were going to college for originally? English. I went to the University of Iowa, pretty famous English school, uh, to be a creative writer, to be a novelist. Huh. So, I mean, cause like you're very into like the storytelling and everything. So like, it seems like that was kind of in your path to get, yeah. to get to where you are today. <laughs> they say, you know, it's only when you look back that you see the, the through line, the connection. Um, I studied uh, English with a, with a minor in psychology in college. And I only got halfway through it because I was still searching for my purpose, but that foundation in language and that understanding of kind of how the mind works really set me up for some very early success with hypnosis. And it's still very foundational to the work I do today. Yeah. I mean, that's so cool how like, yeah, you said like, you don't realize till you look back what, what foundations you're laying, but it's absolutely true. It's kind of cool to reflect on everything. So how do people open their minds to hypnosis? Like, cause I mean, it seems like you use it for people's anxieties, for their fears. How can someone, do people come to you and have they like tried like everything else for their anxieties and fears and then like see you and they're like, wow, why didn't I come to you first? <laughs> I typically get two types of clients, either one who is, who is research hypnosis, who probably has done it before and they're completely on board with it. Or someone who, as you say, has tried literally everything and I'm basically the last stop. And at first I was kind of, I don't know, kind of offended or like kind of objecting to that. But then I realized that really works in my favor because when someone, you know, in my own life, I had to get to that point to be able to open my mind up to these things. And when someone is at that point, they're much more willing to, you know, consider it. Well, and don't you think part of that reasoning is what society tells us? Oh, gosh, Like, yes. society isn't telling people to go do hypnosis. Mm -hmm. <laughs> what I find so fascinating is um, the fact that meditation and this mindfulness movement has really skyrocketed in the last decades. But hypnosis, which is almost the same thing, has really been lagging behind in this medieval kind of thing. And over in Europe, it's actually a very accepted form of practice. I mean, even in America, even though it's not really in the zeitgeist, it's been approved by uh, the American Medical Association for over 50 years. I mean, it's approved by the APA, the NIH. It's even approved as a treatment for cancer. And I think that hypnosis is starting to grow in the popular culture, but I still think it's going to be a couple of decades before it's really accepted as a as a treatment modality. And I do have to overcome a lot of those myths and misconceptions when I work with a first time client. Um, the first 10 to 15 minutes of that session are usually like breaking down those myths. But once people get that first taste of hypnosis, not only for how relaxing it is, but how powerful the changes can be, they're usually hooked. I mean, I've had very few cases where someone has experienced hypnosis and still says, eh, it's not really for me. So like it's, it's typically been successful for them. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And like anything, hypnosis is not 100% successful with 100% of the population. And that's because hypnosis is a, it's a loop between the hypnotist and the person making the change. 
as I said before, it's not me making the change with them. It's them making the change with the tools that I give them. And so if they're not quite ready to make that change, there's not really a whole lot I can do. Right. So you're kind of saying they have to be, they have to be open-minded to the idea of it. Yeah. Sure. So I guess I'm just still trying to get at like the misconceptions people might have about it. How can someone like really be open to that idea of hypnosis? And I guess just kind of talk us through like what a typical hypnosis session might look like. I'll start off with a resource that I give to people for free because I kept running into that issue. People like, I don't, I don't even know what hypnosis is. And so on my Instagram, I've started doing a free hypnosis test drive. And that's where I do every Friday, a 10 to 15 minute hypnosis session. And it's not just me relaxing people. It's me actually taking tools from those sessions and creating some powerful changes. But the myths and misconceptions that I usually run into the first one, the most common one, is that idea that hypnosis is mind control. And we've already established that, you know, it's not, it's you working with your mind. And if you don't agree with it, you're not going to go into hypnosis. I also get people asking, you know, what if I get stuck in hypnosis? And, you know, if you, it's not one, it's not possible, but two, it'd probably be pretty nice because hypnosis is, it's so relaxing. You're just very comfortable. You're in this very Zen kind of state, uh, but it's not possible. Because eventually your mind, which wants to keep you safe, is going to wake you up to get some food or go to the bathroom. It's just not possible. Uh, A third misconception I always get is, am I going to bark like a dog or click like a chicken? Because people always see the stage show. That's their first taste of hypnosis. And I'm very thankful for stage shows because they help expand people's idea of hypnosis. I mean, hypnosis as a treatment modality probably wouldn't be around if hypnosis as a comedy thing had not been continuing that lineage. But when a person goes on that stage, I have to remind people they're volunteering to be on that stage. And they know before they go up that they're probably going to do some ridiculous things. And that's part of the unspoken contract. Because when they go up, if they're not being entertaining, they're probably going to get sent back to the audience. And so hypnosis in that case is only allowing them to do things they would otherwise do. It's lowering that inhibition, that barrier to doing the ridiculous things. In a a therapeutic setting, it doesn't happen that way because they don't expect to do that. And so they just don't. When someone comes in, as long as they have an open mind and the ability to focus and the real desire to make that change, the change is very easy. And so in a typical session, Uh, When I'm working with a first-time client, the first 10 to 15 minutes, we debunk those myths. And then the next 10 to 15 minutes, we break down exactly what it is that they want. Because what I think their problem is, is not what they think their problem is. And by establishing their, their problem in their own language, we make sure that the suggestions that we build together are actually going to stick. I mean, it's not just me giving a bunch of random suggestions that I think will work. It's us working together to craft those suggestions very specifically. Like to give you an example, I worked with a mountain biker who wanted to, um, who wanted to decrease their fear as they're going around curves. Like I've never mountain biked. And so that wasn't even on my radar and having that suggestion from him, I was able to deliver that. And it really created some profound shifts for him. But after we've crafted those 
drafted those suggestions, uh, we go through the actual hypnosis. And then I'd help people get to that deep state. And then I use tools from psychology and neuroscience to help make those changes. And then we bring them back up. And within five to 10 minutes, you know, at the end of the session, I always double check my work. And that involves either a secondary hypnosis session or other psychological tools, just to make sure that the changes we've made are not you know, stuck to the therapy room. They're actually going to last. It's not just they're feeling great in the moment. And by future pacing that and making sure that change is going to stick with them, it's given me a much higher success ratio. And it's allowed me to know when I've messed up and when I need to schedule another session with them. Sure. Yeah. Because like, ultimately the goal is like you said, to have those tools stick with them outside of the room or the online session as you're doing them in the COVID world. But like when people are out adventuring, you know, cycling or going down a wild hike of some sort, I mean, cause you were saying how hypnosis is such a relaxed state. So to be in this relaxed state when you're doing something so adventurous is, is my question too, because I mean, and then I think about wildlife when people are out adventuring also, I mean, how do you get to that relaxed state when you're doing something that has so much stimulus? <laughs> I should say that not all hypnosis is relaxing. Hypnosis at its base is simply focusing on something to the exclusion of all else. And we all experience it every single day, whether that's the classic highway hypnosis, you know, you're so focused on what's in front of you, you don't notice the turns and all the unconscious things that are happening around you. Another great one is when you're in the flow state, when you are so into something, a project or an adventure, mountain biking or kayaking or doing something like that, that everything else seems to fall away when you are, you know, all your pistons are firing mentally and you are so in the zone. That is also hypnosis because you are so focused on something that everything else falls away. And when a person is out having those adventures, you can benefit from hypnosis in two ways. You can either um, do it beforehand and create those unconscious patterns that are triggered when you're in that extreme situation, or you can use that hypnosis um, in the actual event when you are simply focusing. And when you're in that, as an example, I should say, as an exercise that I give to people who are familiar with that flow state, I would say when you're really in the zone, just start telling yourself positive things. And that in itself is a very rudimentary form of self-hypnosis. And when you're in that flow state, your mind is more accepting of those suggestions. Yeah. Just like filling. <clears throat> it's so true. When you fill your mind with positive things, that's that you're surrounding yourself with that. And I mean, I just think about like one time when I was out on a hike, I was so fearful of grizzly bears out in Jasper national park. I like was for sure certain we were going to see a grizzly bear, but it was all worked up in my mind because the thing is we never actually saw a grizzly bear out on that hike this like 14 mile hike where it was just my husband and I, but in my mind, I for sure thought there was going to be a grizzly bear. And that was my fear basically the entire time. And I wasn't even having that much fun because I was so worried about this grizzly bear that wasn't even there. Yeah, absolutely. 
So, I mean, yeah, just kind of getting those affirmations. Um, are there like certain like positive, like terms you tell people when they're out on adventures to use, or is it just kind of what they kind of create for themselves? I used to give, I used to give like some of the basic language patterns, but really what works best is what your mind comes up with. And people often think, well, I, I don't really know what to say. Like, I'm, I feel like I'm just making it up, but that's your unconscious mind giving you that suggestion. I typically say, go with your first gut answer because that's the one your mind has given you already. Okay. Okay. So, and then also in relation to like, so we've talked about the fears and then in relations to like, I know your website also had like weight loss too. Have you ever had people come to you for that? Oh, absolutely. Okay. Weight loss hypnosis, I should say all hypnosis it's founded on the same principles, even the stage comedy show. Like once you learn hypnosis, as long as you have the basic tools of psychology, you can basically use it in any situation. And weight loss hypnosis is not this magic pill that people think it is. It's not, you know, you wave the magic hypnosis wand and you drop 50 pounds. What it is, is you're changing the thoughts, the emotions, the behaviors, and the habits that really caused a person to put on that weight. And once you change that, their body simply catches up. I mean, this is the same thing we're doing when we're working with anxiety. We are changing the thoughts, the habits, the emotions behind that anxiety. And when you change someone's mind at that foundational level, everything else, all the coping mechanisms and all the negative things that were built on that foundation start to crumble and fall away naturally. Right, right. And I'm sure that like there's people that have come to you who have tried multiple types of weight loss programs mm -hmm. and this can really be a benefit to them. Um, another question I have is earlier you said like you've like had like depression and all of that like what types of tools were you trying before you tried hypnosis Ooh. or was that something you kind of struggled with throughout your life? Yeah that was something I'd struggled with throughout my life. Um, okay. It, it ran in my family and I developed in my depressive episode in my senior year of high school. And I was on medication and therapy and those were my main tools. But I think even before I discovered meditation, I was kind of doing it on my own without really realizing it because I was really just sitting in contemplation. And I'd grown up in a household that was very, very busy. Like we used busyness to mask our emotions like if you were constantly busy you didn't have to think about anything and so that idea of just sitting there or listening to a podcast or just playing a guitar like having that space to just be myself that was my first rudimentary tool of using or of managing my own mental health I really like that idea giving yourself space to be yourself because I mean you're right. And that's like a huge reason, like hiking for us has become so important in like the outdoors. It kind of like gives us the space we need to open our minds up to whatever it may be at the time, rather than having the rush and all the distractions that society is so filled with today. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I mean, hiking is, I definitely notice a difference in my mental health when I miss like a, a hike for two weeks or something, because I start to get stressed, I start to get anxious, and just getting out in nature, that is such a prime, primal tool and such a very 
integral part of who we are as humans that it really makes sense to me, at least, that I feel so calm when I'm out in nature. Absolutely. What are some of your favorite places to explore in Santa Fe, New Mexico? Oh, in Santa Fe. Honestly, I've only been here a month or so, so I don't know the real, you know, the layout. I can give you a lot more on Salt Lake City because we spent an entire summer there. We hiked every single week. In Salt Lake City, I really loved Big Cottonwood Canyon for hiking. Um, Beautiful, beautiful area. Um, I also found a lot of joy in Little Cottonwood Canyon. That's where the the really big ski areas are at and it's got some good hiking there. Um, The Mount Timpanogos area is just south of Salt Lake City. I don't know, about half an hour along that same uh, front. And that has got some extremely good hiking as well. Mount Tipanogos? Tipanogos, uh, T-I-M-P-A-N-O-G-O-S. I think it's, I don't know if it's a national monument or like a state park or something, but it's its some kind of park. It's not just a, it's not just a um, hiking area. It's protected by the National Park Service. Um, what are some of the other ad- adventures that have come to you? You mentioned a mountain biker. What are some other examples? I saw a climber who was having difficulty, like they would have, they would get to the end of their climb and they wouldn't be able to finish because they would have a panic attack essentially. And oftentimes people come to hypnotists with that very specific thing because they're like, I don't, I don't really know how else to fix this. Um, I've worked with um, a whitewater kayaker who had overturned their boat and had been injured on an underwater rock. And so had that fear and we overcame that. Um, I've also worked with uh, mountaineers who are training for really big ones. Like um, I think it was Mount, Mount Baker or no Mount Rainier in um, out here on the West coast. And they were essentially doing a, a five-year plan to get to Everest. And so I've met some very adventurous people and I've gotten some, um, really cool stories. And that was part of the inspiration for the podcast, because I was like, I really want to give these people the voice or the, the, the microphone to share their stories, because these are the things that I wish I would have heard when I was still living that non-adventurous life. Because like you're saying, like, these are people who have kind of already reached their adventures in life. Like, were they, it was something that they were seeking for a long time. And now this is what they do for their career. It kind of sort of, um, that's what I specialize in because that's kind of how I brand myself. I brand myself as the adventure hypnotist, but I also see people who are just living their normal lives who want to either lose weight or um, build confidence or stop feeling that anxious feeling. It's not completely restricted to that adventurous lifestyle. Okay. Yeah. I mean, it's so cool hearing all this because it's the more I'm hearing it, it's just such a it's a mindset shift. Yeah. I mean, some of those adventures that you have seen, were they, had they dealt with like a lot of hesitancy? Like, it sounds like like there was the white water raptor and like the climber. And then, I mean, I think of like the extreme people, like, have you seen Free Solo? Like <laughs> that guy? Solo. I mean, was he hypnotized? <laughs> I mean, you know, how did honestly, he do that? I don't know if he was hypnotized by someone, but I almost guarantee he was hypnotizing himself. 
self-hypnosis is something we do all the time. I mean, visualization techniques where we're picturing things or future events that have not happened, that's technically hypnosis. And so when he was planning out the route, he was going up this mountain and writing out notes, I'm almost positive he was picturing his hands in those exact positions and his feet in those positions. And so his mind was basically running that hike or that, that, that climb so many times before he did it. And so by the time he actually did it, it was almost as if he'd done it, I don't know, a dozen times already. So is that kind of, I mean, that must be what you kind of teach people as well. Like mm -hmm. with this whitewater rafter, it sounds like you need to picture yourself going down that <laughs> river, like kayak or kayaking or whatever. And in a positive sense. Exactly. It's all about in a positive sense, as you said. Um, and visualization is one of those tools that it's very foundational to hypnosis, but it's kind of rudimentary at the same time. It's also one of those things that you can't really do it wrong unless you visualize something negative in your life. As long as you're visualizing good things, um, you tend to create those good things because your mind has a target to go towards. And that's really what I want to emphasize is that we're not working away from something. People often come in, they're like, I don't want to feel anxious anymore. And I say, well, what do you want? Because I could, you know, we can make you feel sad or hungry or, or I don't know, angry or something. But when they've got that target state to go for, as in Free Solo, when he had that target state of, I want to climb El Cap without ropes, it's so much more easy to reach that because your mind has a direction and it has an end goal that it knows when it reaches that it has succeeded. Mm, so you're saying we should always, when we're like thinking about our adventures, we need, we need an end goal in mind. Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> it can't just be open-minded. Yeah. And a quick tip for those who are, you know, changing their own life. When you are stating your goal, make sure you are stating it in the positive. Because if you say, I don't want to be anxious, or I don't want to live where I don't have the mountains, or I don't want to work this job that I hate, your mind will get you there. But it's like a ship without a, without a rudder. If you're, if you're trying to get away from point A, you can go three, you know, any direction 360 degrees, but that's not exactly going to get you to your goal. Make sure you're stating it in the positive, like, I want to live an adventurous life, or I want to live in this specific location, or I want to simply be free to make my own decisions. When you state it in the positive, you're giving your mind much clearer directions on where you want to go, and your mind is unconsciously going to help you get there. Yeah, I love that way of looking at it. So can you tell us a little bit about your podcast? We've talked about it a little bit, but like, it sounds like you're kind of, I've listened to a few episodes and it seems like you're walking us through your, your story and your experiences. Yeah, that was definitely the first few episodes. Now I'm um, bringing in more guest interviews and really learning from their experiences and their story. Because when I started out, I did not have that adventure. And I thought there was this huge chasm that I had to cross. And it wasn't until I had that courage to ask people about their own stories that I realized they also had some really big struggles they overcame. And it's not like they had reached this end goal and they were fixed or perfect or anything. They were still working through their own struggles and trying to figure out what was going on in their own life. And 
I call it the Making Meaning Podcast because that has two different veins. When I was in therapy for um, mental illness, for depression, my therapist told me one thing that really stuck with me. She said that we are meaning-making creatures. And the reality that's objective around us is not the reality that we perceive. When you see, when you experience a reality, you are placing your own filters over it. For me, it was that filter of depression because it had been something I've experienced in my life. And I thought that was true, but we are making our own meaning from our own experiences and what is happening to us. And so those two combine to form our reality. That's one side of it. The other side of it is that as I've been searching for my meaning, I was always like Googling, like, what's the purpose of life? Or how do I find my own meaning? It wasn't until I really created my own meaning that I was really satisfied with my life. And so those are the two kind of areas I focus on. I interview these awesome people who are living adventurous lives. And it's not just top adventures. It's people who have taken ownership and who are really stepping into that, that driver's seat of their life. And I also share some of the tools I've learned from meditation and yoga and neuroscience to help people, to give people the things that I wish I would have known at the start of my journey. Well, yeah, because I remember in your first episode, you were kind of talking about the struggles you've had with your own entrepreneurship journey. And before you started your hypnosis business, you started two other businesses as well. So it just kind of goes to show that there's going to be a lot of bumps along the way, but you kind of got to keep going. Um, can you share a little bit about the struggles through business? Yes. When I first started out in business, I thought like everyone, it was going to be a very clear, straightforward path. And it's never that case, not only in business, but in life in general, because we have switchbacks, we have detours in our lives. And those are the things that get us there quickly because we realize what we don't want and we correct our course. But in my own life, um, I went to college and as I got there, I knew I wanted to write, but I knew I probably wasn't going to make a lot of money, at least starting out as a, a novelist. And so I got into copywriting and I didn't want to work for someone. And so I started my own business. I was reaching out to restaurants and doing some copywriting for them. And um, that kind of went under because it wasn't really my thing. And I found social media marketing. And so I tried that. I started up a new business and I reached out to different restaurants this time. And I actually had some pretty good success with that. Uh, but I quickly realized that it also was not what I wanted to do. And so for a year, a couple of years after that, I went back into the W2 working world and kind of set aside that idea of being an entrepreneur because, you know, it caused me a lot of pain in the past. And it wasn't until I found hypnosis and these tools that changed my life. It wasn't like I was being pulled. I mean, I shouldn't say it wasn't like I was pushing myself to be an entrepreneur anymore. I was being pulled because I wanted to give those tools to so many other people. And that's really what's sustained me through this journey. And for anyone who's trying to build up their own business, I would first start out by finding out what really lights you up. Because there are so many ways you can make money. You could be an investor, or you could be a marketer, or you could work for a big, I don't know, a company. But it's not going to fulfill you and it's not going to give you that drive that you need to make it the long haul. And I think it's really only that drive that has sustained me through the struggles of 2020 
and starting my own business. I think that's really the key of it all. Well, yeah, because like 2020 has just been crazy for everyone in itself. And you started this in 2020. Is that correct? That's correct. I had been working with hypnosis for about a year and a half up to now. And before that, I had been, um, I'd been advertising for stage shows. I should say that I do both. I do the therapeutic side and the stage show side, partly because I enjoy it. It's fun to be on stage. But when people ask, like, does that make you untrustworthy? And I tell them, you know, if I can hypnotize 30 complete strangers on a stage in front of all these people, think of what I can do for you when we're working one-on-one in that session. I mean, working on the stage, it has allowed me to refine my skills very rapidly. And so I had a bunch of shows actually booked for um, this spring and this fall. But as soon as COVID happened, they all just got wiped off the map. And at that point, therapy was something that I was just getting started in. And I was, you know, tinkering on the side with a website. And all of a sudden, my income stream was gone. And I was like, I've got to make a 180 degree pivot, like overnight. And it was a little bit rough. I ended up having to get a part-time job and living off savings for a while. But now it's now I'm very thankful for that because I've been able to really do what got me into hypnosis in the first place, not just the stage shows, but actually helping people. Right. Right. And like with COVID did that, um, do you think like your business kind of advanced faster because of COVID? Cause COVID caused so much depression and anxiety and sadness in so many people in our society. Did you see, yeah. Like, do you think that helped your business? I don't, you know, I don't want to phrase it that way because it it makes light of a very serious issue. But I did see a lot of people coming in with COVID stress, people who otherwise would not consider themselves, you know, mentally ill, but who in these very unique times, they're facing these issues. And that's really what I hope people get out of COVID-19 is that mental health is not something that a few of us struggle with. It's something that we all have to work on. And it's not like you're either completely fine or you're suicidal. Like there's that huge gray area in between where people are like just getting through or like they're fine, but they have a few dark moments. The tools that help us with mental health, we can all really benefit from them. Right. Absolutely. And I think that mental health is it's being talked about more in our society, especially like throughout the COVID year. But I think there's still some some stigma and behind the curtain stuff going on with mental health. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. Yeah. Um, my other question is like, how, tell us about the van life or how, how did that go for you this year? What were some of the biggest <laughs> struggles there? Oh gosh. My van life journey has been very interesting. So about six months before I'm moving out West, I had, I had no money and I didn't want to live at home. I ended up having to move back home because my apartment fell through. And I was like, I'll, I'll build a van and go live out West or do something adventurous. But I only had like a couple thousand dollars. And so I bought this $500 van from my family. And I should have known as soon as I saw it, don't touch that thing. But I built it up a little bit inside. I got some flooring and some wood paneling on the inside. And I was going to take it on a maiden voyage across Canada to go to New Hampshire for a seasonal job. Everything was fine until 
I broke down in Sturgeon Falls, Ontario, in this very small community. And the, the Ford dealership where I was towed to, uh, they, they were calling around and trying to find parts. They could not find the specific part to fix my van within a hundred mile radius. And so my family actually had to drive up the specific part from the U.S. and come rescue me with my van. So that was my first negative situation with van life. But I got back, I built out this camper setup in a pickup truck and I went out west. When COVID happened, I had been dating my current girlfriend for about three weeks. We had been, um, we had been best friends for about four months by that point, but um, we were still very young as a relationship. And so instead of moving across the country and perhaps never seeing each other again, we're like, why don't we live in the back of my truck together? So we moved in together and we started hitting up all these really cool places. And um, it was a very, very unique time in my life because we were one, homeless, two, broke, and three, not really sure what was going on. We were essentially living out our quarantine in these adventurous places. And so we were seeing some national parks where there weren't a lot of people yet. And we were doing all these amazing things, but then we'd go and live, you know, we'd go to sleep at night and it was the middle of March. And so we were freezing. At one point, my girlfriend's contact solution froze. That's how cold we got. Um, we got lost pretty seriously, had our own, not quite as near death experience, but um, got kind of close. And I think that that adventure has been a foundation for our relationship. That kind of adventure, it would have either blown us apart or brought us together. And I'm very thankful it was the latter because I think that if we can get through that, then what else is going to actually hurt us in the long run? Oh my gosh, yeah, 100%. I mean, I think that COVID has allowed a lot of relationships to, yeah, either fast forward or it's kind of given people the other side of the picture, unfortunately, and just given people like time to totally cut it off Yeah, in that sense. So you're not still living in this van, are you? <laughs> no. After the two weeks, um, we moved in with a friend back outside of Salt Lake City. And we thought we were going to be there a couple weeks as we got on our feet. Uh, we were there 10 days before their roommates kind of got sick of us. And so we had to move out again. We moved back into a van or not the van, the truck for a weekend while we were trying to set up this um, sublet in Salt Lake City. It turned out it was a scam. So we lost a thousand dollars there and we ended up living in an Airbnb. And while we were living in that Airbnb, we got robbed and they took both of our computers and my uh, headphones. So this is why I'm wearing the purple ones. Um, as you know, with that, with that idea of the hardships really fast tracking relationship, that could have been the end of us. We could have really focused on that and it could have blown us apart. But I think the fact that we were in it together and we were relying on each other for that basic just survival, I think that really created a great foundation for our relationship. Wow. Yeah. Saying that you got robbed and scammed. <laughs> Those are some pretty awful things that, that happened during, yeah, a pretty awful time in our in our history, in human history. But also knowing that so, so many people have been going through all of these hardships. And I mean, I only wish that more people could see the positive side of yeah. what we're going through right now. But it's really hard for, I think, a lot of people to, especially when 
their friends and families are in really awful health conditions. Yeah. I couldn't agree more because at the time it, it definitely wasn't a positive thing. I had some very dark days this summer and it wasn't until I was looking at it in hindsight that I was really thankful for it for sure. Yeah. I mean, it's pretty cool that you can already like look back and reflect on it when it's not even that far away in our history. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I should say I had been planning a through hike of the PCT in 2020 and that got postponed due to COVID. And honestly, I'm kind of glad it did. You know, at the time I was heartbroken. I've been planning it for like three years at that point. And had I gone through with that, I wouldn't be in the situation where I'm at today. My business I would have come back essentially broke from using up all my savings to a business that was not running yet. Um, the relationship that I've developed with my partner over this summer, it wouldn't exist. And so while I am kind of sad that it didn't happen, I'm also very thankful for the good that's come out of it. Right. I mean, that's such a refreshing perspective to hear. Cause I mean, yeah, there unfortunately were a lot of people who had to cancel their through hikes and, I think most people probably found the positive light in it, but like you said, it was something you were planning for three years. Like, had you already like bought your resupplies and like planned all of that or how extreme were you in your planning? I hadn't bought the resupplies yet. Like that was coming up within a couple of weeks by the time it got canceled. I bought all my gear and I had um, made all my plans. Essentially I hadn't, I uh, hadn't bought the ticket yet. Surprisingly uh, that was still in my list, but um, I was committed, like I was going to make it happen, you know, whatever it took. And so it was kind of heartbreaking, but looking back, it's all right. Yeah. What is it about a through hike that like attracted you to that idea? Ooh, I first discovered through hiking when I was in that really low state and I wanted that kind of picturesque hallmark thing. You know, you go on this massive adventure and everything's fixed. And I quickly realized that's not quite the case. Right. Like you discover your life's journey after, exactly. through, after a through hike. <laughs> what, what really sustained that vision was the idea of challenging myself because I didn't know just how far I could go and just what I could achieve. I was really stepping into my own life, I guess, at that point. And I was like, you know, what can I do? And this seemed like a perfect blend between something very challenging and something that I really enjoy doing. It was that kind of type two fun, that idea, you know, it's, it's something that hurts at the time, but you really enjoy looking back at it. Right. And you said it's like when you were just kind of like starting your life out, like, I mean, you're, you're pretty young. So like, do you think like being a young entrepreneur and just having all these experiences already has hypnosis kind of tied into your age and being a young business person at all? I would say so. I have got a lot of, just like anyone, I've got a lot of issues in my own past that I've been working with through hypnosis. And it's also really helped me in building confidence. I mean, I do self-hypnosis almost every day. And whether that's business confidence or confidence to go and even attempt these really big adventures, I'd say that it's become a, a connector in my life. One of my mentors in hypnosis says that hypnosis is an amplifier of human experiences. It makes the highs higher and it makes the confidence more confident. Um, and so you can really use it in any situation. 
Yeah, that's really neat. Like it makes the highs higher. I like that too, because it just amplifying your experiences, amplifying everything. I mean, do you think it could work the other way too and making the lows lower? Oh yes, absolutely. When someone is in that depressive loop, that's essentially what they're doing. They are telling themselves like it's never going to be better. And they're picturing these horrible things happening to them. And essentially they're hypnotizing themselves in a very rudimentary sense because depression at its core is simply your mind believing like the world is terrible and it's never going to be better. And when you tell yourself that repeated enough, your event, you're, you're going to hypnotize yourself because that's the basic, uh, that's the basics of what hypnosis developed out of. And I think that as a, as a change worker, I definitely don't want to make anything negative. What I work most often with is breaking up those negative loops and taking them to the other side of the spectrum. Yeah. I like that so much. And, you know, like, just like simple, like I think about simple things I do in my beginning of the day to make my day good, like a simple workout really sets my my mindset. Like when I don't do my workouts, I think about how I feel and I just like feel very sluggish and blah for the day. And then I reflect and I'm like, oh yeah, I didn't get my workout in this morning. (laughs) Same here. So where can people find you if they're interested in learning more or listening to your podcast? Yeah. I would say if they're interested in, in hypnosis, if they're curious what it's like, I'd always send them to my Instagram where they can find those free hypnosis test drives. My handle is at making your meaning because of the making meaning podcast. Uh, they can find the podcast um, on my website, anywherehypnosis.com slash podcast or on their favorites, uh, Apple, you know, iTunes and Stitcher, their favorite podcasting app. It's called the making meaning podcast. And one final resource I'm not sure I mentioned I have these tools that I give out to my anti-anxiety clients, tools that help them if panic flares in between sessions. And I quickly realized that I should share these tools with people who are interested. They're tools that take, I don't know, two minutes to three minutes. And they're from yoga and meditation and neuroscience psychology. I call it the seven day stress-free challenge. And they can find that on my website as well. Awesome. And those are just like what people use when they're feeling triggered with anxiety. Maybe like, is it something people might do if they're feeling triggered with like addictions too? Absolutely. Absolutely. It's, um, I mean, it's based for anxiety, but these principles, once you understand them, you can use it for anything. I mean, the, the mind is extremely flexible and it can map across to some very powerful changes. Awesome. Thank you for coming on, Doug. This has been really cool learning about hypnosis. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. We've loved doing this podcasting journey. We love bringing awesome guests on. We love seeing that people are listening. And we're really, really grateful that this is hopefully inspiring other people to get outdoors. Yeah, and as part of our mission at Hiking Through Life, We really want to help support others in continuing their journey or starting their journey into the outdoors. So as part of that, we have plans for future episodes to address some listener feedback. So if you have questions about backpacking, hiking, adventuring outdoors, let us know. Email hikingthroughlife at gmail.com and submit us your question or topic and we'll possibly address it in a future episode. 
You've been listening to the Hiking Through Life podcast. Peace, love, and hike through life.